Welcome to American Dreams, Keys to Success, with your host, Alan Olson. He's a Bay Area native. He's a successful businessman, well-connected, and a friend to all. He's been published and quoted in various media outlets. And he's been honored for his philanthropic contributions. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. Today we have with us Richard King. He's the founder and senior partner of King, King, and King, a law firm located here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, in addition to his work at the law firm, Richard has and uh, served as the past president of Rotary International is an absolute exemplary leader in various other organizations. He's also run his own Broadway uh, musical show in his past. So, Richard, welcome to today's show. Thank you, Alan. It's good to be with you. So I'm really excited. I, you know, I've known you for years, and uh, you have been one of my role models of what a leader should be. Well, I, I hope that you've had other role models otherwise, <laughs> but I'm honored to know that because you've done a wonderful job here with your business and your work and your charitable work here in the Bay Area. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Richard, one of the struggles that we have in today's society is that facing of how do we replace the leaders of today with the leaders of tomorrow. Do you think that leaderships are inborn or developed? I've always believed that leadership is developed. I believe that every human being has the spark of leadership within him or her. It needs to be developed just like any other skill or talent. Everybody can be a leader in some capacity or another if they understand what leadership is all about. It isn't fame, it isn't fortune, it's influence, the ability to get somebody to do something that they may not want to do. That's leadership. Um, Richard, what are some of the different leadership positions that you've served in? Oh my gosh, I have been president of many organizations and clubs over the year. The most challenging was the world presidency of Rotary International. There are some 34,000 Rotary clubs across the globe in over 200 countries and geographical regions. And uh, I have traveled to 126 different countries developed uh, talks and seminars on leadership, how to get people to do something that needs to be done and to make them feel that it's their idea, that they want to do it, and that they feel good about it. So that's the role of a leader. But in the uh, my church work, I've been a leader. In the Boy Scouts, I've been a leader. In uh, civic organizations, I've been a leader. And uh, I've done a lot of pro bono work in my profession this month. January of 2012, I commemorate 49 years as a practicing trial lawyer in both California and Utah. So it's been a long and interesting career. You know, it it must be amazing serving as a Rotary International president in 126 countries. And I I believe it was uh, 350,000 members, or I don't know if I'm close to that number. We uh, have uh, globally over a million two hundred thousand. Okay. Uh, we we added seventy five thousand new members net during my presidency of the organization. One thousand one hundred and fifty eight new Rotary clubs, which meant that we chartered began a new Rotary club somewhere on the face of the earth every eight hours. So it was a uh, pulsating work. But uh, the leader gets good people to do the job. The leader shares the mission, sets shares the goal, 
and uh, gets good people to work with him. I believe, just to summarize, that the visionary leader in any organization sees the problem, three C's, sees the problem, sees the potential, and sees the solution. And then he or she sets the goal, sets the plan, and works the plan. And I've always followed that uh, concept in my own leadership skill. And that involves getting a lot of good people to work with you and having them think that it's their idea. They get enthused about it. So when the parade goes by at the end, they're the ones that take the credit, which is the role of a good leader. Does it take a lot of patience? Oh, of course it does. (laughs) When you're dealing, especially with volunteers, in any volunteer organization, you, you know, I took a, a class at the University of California at Berkeley when I was an undergraduate student there, and I was a vice president of the student body there many years ago, so I was doing leadership roles there too. We took a course on logic, and I'll never forget it. Uh, the professor shot an image at the front of the classroom, and he said, now I want you to tell me what you see. And those of us on one side of the classroom saw one thing, The others on the other side of the classroom saw another thing. And then we changed seats, and we saw what the other side saw, and they saw what we saw, and everybody couldn't understand. And the professor said, the point of this is that it all depends on where you're sitting, what you see. And everybody sits in a different chair because their whole experience in life who they are, their education, what kind of parents they had, their experiences in life, their business and professional background, their educational background, their social and cultural development, travel experiences. All of that comes to play on a given day when you and then someone else looks at the solution to a problem. And if they see it completely different than you see it, it's because you're sitting in a different chair. And the job of a leader is to have the patience to get up out of his chair and go and sit, symbolically, in that other chair so that he or she can understand what it is that that other person sees. And once that's done, there's a much better chance of reaching a consensus on what ought to be achieved. I love the perspective that you just shared there because oftentimes, you know, uh, people as they begin their leadership role feel it has to be one way, their way. And uh, you just highlighted and and embodied what a true leader would do is try to see the perspective from both sides of that fence. Well, what you want to do is reach the goal. And uh, there's nothing quite so wonderful as reaching the goal if everybody on the team feels that it was their goal and not just yours. Mm -hmm. So often in experiences, for instance, in Rotary, I wanted a particular thing done. So I would go to two or three friends of mine and say, now... Can you support me on this? And if so, would you please raise your hand when I when we talk about who's got an idea to how to achieve this and present this idea? And that way it came initially not from me, but from someone in the group, somebody else on the committee. And uh, then I could say, you know, that's a good idea. Uh, when uh, in fact it was something that I was thinking all along. But uh, it, it, working with human, everybody's imperfect. I like the words of Richard L. Evans, a great Latter-day theologian out of Salt Lake City and a former president of Rotary International. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, don't be discouraged. Everybody who got where they are had to begin where he was because there's no place else to begin. 
and everybody begins at a different point. We all have a different background. We all sit in a different chair, and we have to understand that if we want, as a leader, to reach the goal that we are trying to achieve. So when we look at the uh, the youth today, I'll tell you, I had it on our website. If you Google qualities of a leader, we're number one in the world. Really? Number one. And so we get a lot of people coming to our site. We get about 3,000 visitors a day, but predominantly people are there because they're looking and honing in on leadership skills. So I had a, a college student write, and uh, he he just took on a role at a university of uh, leading some club, and he says, look, he goes, everybody in the club is smarter, better educated, and when I go down their credentials, they all have a lot more than I have going. He says, and I find I... I, I lack respect from the members of this club. He says, what advice would you give for me? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Number one, he's an intelligent person to be aware of what may perceive to be his own shortcomings. But I would say, look, everybody has something better than you do, and everybody has something less. Everybody's fatter. Everybody's skinnier, everybody's older, everybody's younger, everybody's wealthier, everybody's poor, everybody's better educated, everybody's less educated, everybody lives in a bigger house, everybody lives in a smaller house, everybody had two good parents that raised them correctly, some people have parents that didn't or didn't have parents at all. Everybody has to start where they are with what they've got. So let's sit down and talk about why you're the president of this club. Who picked you? Why did they pick you? There must be some respect somewhere there. And I would say, look, set your goals, set the solutions, set the problems, and pick two or three that you think might be friends of yours to help you come forward. And then never forget the words of Bishop Fulton J. Sheen, who used to have a television program, Life is Worth Living, many years ago. And his wisdom was just wonderful, a Roman Catholic bishop. And he always said, uh, don't worry about it. If they're kicking you in the rear, you must be out in front. And I would say that to that young man. <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, as, as the kids today, I, I, I think about I have seven kids, so four mm. in the college years. And uh, I often look at what they're going through. It's tough out there. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I don't know. If you have a message for the kids of today, who would be the future leaders of tomorrow, uh, knowing what you know now and traveling the roads that you've traveled, what advice would that be? Develop your own CVC. Conviction, vision, and commitment. Everybody has to have a conviction of what it is that they think is of value in life. They have to understand where they're going and what it is they want to do with their life. We, not, we don't always get every dream and every goal that we are interested in, but if we don't set some, we don't get anywhere. So I believe that somebody who doesn't believe in anything, conviction, is likely to fall for anything. And most people are in that category. So the first thing I would say to a young person is, what do you believe? What do you believe? What do you have a conviction of that is of value? How do you want to invest the one earthly life you've been given to live? Because you get 86,400 seconds every day, and that's it. And so how do you, what do you, what do you think is important? 
a leader, if he doesn't, if she doesn't have a conviction, nobody will follow them because they don't think that the leader believes it either. So you have to believe with all your heart and soul in my church work and my scout work and my rotary work and even in my professional work, I believe I have a conviction that what I'm doing is important. Richard, we're running up against the break here, but uh, if you stay on, we'll, uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Nothing's more important than spending time with your family. At Greenstone Rogoff Olson Company, we're trusted advisors to the highly successful. Our goal is to help you find the right strategy to protect your wealth for yourself and those you love. Kids! Why do I feel like I've just had an audit? As trusted advisors to the highly successful, we'll make sure you don't lose your shirt. Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. We're here visiting today with Richard King. He's the former president of Rotary International and also serves as an attorney here in the Bay Area as the, the founding partner, senior partner of King, King, and King. Uh, Richard, before the break, we were talking about CBCs, and uh, which is... Uh, Conviction, vision... And commitment. Okay, Three so, character, characteristics, in my judgment, of a good leader. Well, let's go into the second one, vision. Yes. After you have a conviction, after you have a knowledge that what you're doing is important, then you got to see the potential for where you want to go. Any person who heads up an organization has to say, where do I want to take this? Some people just waste their time, and at the end of their term... Nothing much has been done. In fact, sometimes there's been regression instead of real advancement. But a good leader moves the bottom line of the productivity of the organization. So what do you see? One of my most memorable visits in my life and all of the places I've been was a visit to Helen Keller's home down in the south of the part, part of this country. And I saw where she learned to be the person that she was without the ability to have sight or hearing or the ability to speak. An amazing, amazing woman. And someone asked her, can you think of anything worse than being blind? And she said, oh, yes, of course. Having sight, but no vision. One of the reasons I like the bald eagle as a symbol of excellence in leadership, and I like him as the mascot of the United States of America, is because the eagle has three characteristics of a leader that are important. First, he has a vision that is unsurpassed by any other species. He can see far into the distance, and good leaders can. Second, he will fly on in the face of a storm, and every leader worth his or her salt is going to face storms. Always people wonder how the heck you got there, and they always assume that they could do it better than you. And uh, so uh, an eagle will not pay any attention to a storm. I've watched them up in Alaska. They'll soar mighty in the sky, getting to where they want to go, regardless of the weather. And uh, I'm talking now symbolically, the weather being those people that want to challenge you all the time. 
And then third, the eagle understands the necessity to change. The eagle goes through a change process that's quite an experience, which enables it to live a long time in adult human years. So uh, the second part of a good leader characteristic, the vision, you see where you want to take the organization, you see the problem, you see the solution, you set the plan, you work the plan, and you recognize those people who helped you along the way, and you're not afraid to change. If the organization needs to change, change it. Uh, because, and every human being needs to go through that. Every family, every life, every business, every structure of any kind, if you need to make a change, change it and move on uh, instead of being stuck in the same rut. So uh, anybody, anybody can sit down and say, what do I see is the potential for this organization or this club that I'm leading this coming year or this business? What is the potential? Where do I want to take it? And that's the V of the CVC. And finally, you get to the most important part, and that's commitment. Because I believe that commitment is what moves organizations more than any other intellectual ability, any other knowledge, uh, any other educational background. It's commitment. And I, I could give you a thousand stories on where I've received commitment that something is of value, uh, but uh, you got to have something in your heart. Vince Lombardi said, you got to pay the price. This great coach said, you know, whatever else you do, you've got to play with your heart and your soul and your head. If you play with just one of them, you don't get very far. But when you play with all three, you come out a champion. And I've always thought that Vince Lombardi uh, was, that's why we named the Lombardi Trophy what it is. And uh, he was a great leader of men in, the, in, the, in his profession, men. And uh, he had a lot of things to say about uh, playing with your heart. Commitment is playing with your heart. What do you feel? You know, that's all great advice there with the CVC. And, uh, you know, Richard, over the years, you've had opportunity to speak in front of many groups, many individuals, both community, both professional, as, as a trial attorney. I'm sure you get your your time also in front of court to uh, to, to speak before uh, the judges, and you're a great orator. Um, as we, uh, you know, as we look into the future here, I, I, I've heard of your, uh, you've written the Ten Commandments of Leadership. You know, could you share some of those with us? Well, number one, you've got to have the ability to listen. I, I, I won't go through all ten of them, but I, and many of them we've already discussed that I just paraphrased in a different way. But uh, uh, listening is a skill that, that has to, you have to spend some time to develop the ability to listen. Uh, often we turn off if it sounds as if the person has a boring voice or is speaking in a boring manner doesn't inflectuate his voice or her voice in any way. And that's a dangerous thing to do because often what they have to say is very, very important. And I remember sitting in church and I would say, oh, God, I don't know whether I can stay awake for this talk. <laughs> uh, but when I forced myself to do so, I really learned a lot. The same was true when I was in law school. Some professors are stimulating and exciting and interesting. Some you have to really concentrate. So just as the ability to read and understand what you're reading is of value. And the, the, the way I learn to listen 
is to say, after you get through speaking, what did you just say? I say this to myself. What did you just say? Can I paraphrase that in my own mind? Alan Olson just said in two or three sentences. And that way, the next day when I'm saying to my wife, this is what I learned, or to some friend, I can remember it much, much better, and it hasn't been just a waste of my time. Um, Another commandment of leadership is to see where the other person's chair is sitting. And we've discussed that uh, because if you don't know where they're coming from, it's very, very hard to understand how you're going to motivate them. The third in influence, and we're talking about this uh, now, is the ability to communicate an idea. A good leader has learned how to communicate. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a great orator. A lot of people come up to me and they say, I wish I could speak like you. And I say, why? Why? Speak like you do. Some of the greatest orators, I've already mentioned Richard L. Evans, one of the greatest speakers the world has ever known, spoke in a very soft voice. And they didn't have to be uh, loud. They didn't have to be... uh, Uh, have great oratorical skill. You speak from the heart. The most important thing is when you're done is how did the audience feel? It's not so much that they remember everything you said, but if you're going to be a leader, how do they feel when you get through presenting the idea? That's a few of the commandments of leadership. So we just just got about 30 seconds here left, but but what have you found the greatest reward in serving as a leader? Oh, I got a letter from a chief of police who was a Rotary Club president when I was a Rotary governor. And in the letter, he said, you know, at first I didn't like you. I thought maybe your ideas were too big and too hard. But I would follow you anywhere, Rick, because you made me better than I thought I was. Wow, what a great reward. Richard, we'd like to thank you for being here with us today and talking about the principles of leadership. Very insightful. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. In my flower business, I make deliveries using my bicycle. Am I eligible for a green credit for using an energy-efficient vehicle? I need help with my puppet business. Should I hire an employee or an independent contractor? Dad, I'm a business. At Greenstein Rogoff Olson Company, we're certified public accountants with tax services for the highly successful. For your business and your family, call GroCo. GroCo, helping you along the Apple pie, baseball, and now here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. Uh, before the break, we're visiting with Richard King, and I've actually asked him to stay over. There was so much content on leadership, and uh, you know, I feel it was all real good, but we failed to get down to what Richard's day job was and also some of the past things that he's done, uh, such as, Richard, I understand you were you had your own Las Vegas show and did Broadway reviews. Well, you know, I uh, when I was at Bolt Hall, the law school at Cal Berkeley, uh, at the senior class did a, a spoof, uh, a show, uh, a review at the end of the year, uh, and I played the dean, and we did a, uh, our, that year we did Guys and Dolls, and instead of singing the lyrics of Guys and Dolls, the Broadway show Guys and Dolls, 
I sang, follow the codes and stray no more. And uh, the dean came up to me afterwards. He says, well, you'll probably be a fine lawyer, but you really ought to consider a, a career in singing. And I said, now you tell me, after seven years of studying to be a lawyer, it's, uh, you know, you could have said this a little sooner. In any event, I, um, I thought when I started my law career in 1965 practicing, that I would just for fun go out to the stage at Woodminster Performing Arts uh, here in the Oakland Hills in Walking Miller Park. It's a block above the, the Oakland Mormon Temple. And the, the producers up there came from Broadway, and I knew they were real pros. And I thought maybe I could wind up in the chorus. Well, instead of winding up in the chorus, it was the old story that the guy that from Hollywood that was going to do Curly in the role of Oklahoma couldn't do it at the last minute, and would I do it? And uh, so I came out, my first Broadway show, and in the opening scene, and in Woodminster, the fog's rolling in, so it was brisk, and I opened my mouth to sing, Oh, what a beautiful morning, and a filling in my tooth fell out. That, that, <laughs> that, that fog got in there, and I hit a note that the producers had never heard before. <laughs> it was a fun experience. One other fun experience, I was doing The Music Man, in front of 20,000 people at Stern Grove in San Francisco. And I had done The Music Man several times, and it's probably my very favorite role. Harold Hill, the humble con artist. And uh, I was doing with a wonderful Hollywood uh, per, per, personality, and we were on the stage at Stern Grove in San Francisco. And I was in the scene at the end on the, on the footbridge where I was kissing her, and uh, there were bells all around, and I never heard them ringing. And a dog walked across the stage, stopped right in front of us, peed on my cufflink <laughs> as I was singing and kissing her. And then he walked across. Well, I got the audience, of course, just roared. I wasn't sure, but I stopped the song, and I just ad-libbed. I looked at the audience and said, that's the wettest kiss I've ever heard and had in my life. <laughs> Went all the way down to my pant leg. <laughs> So lots of fun experiences, and I did, yes, I did three shows a night in Las Vegas for a long time. I understudied some Broadway stars on Monday nights in the big showroom, and then I did a show at 11 a.m., one at four at 1 a.m., and one at 4 a.m. Uh, for Howard Hughes' uh, the organization. He lived in the penthouse of the Desert Inn. I was told, I never met him, but I was told that he was up there, and uh, so I enjoyed that. Did you ever sing with Sinatra or meet him? Oh, of course. Uh, and, you know, Sinatra taught me a lesson that I will never forget. And I, it's, a, it's a real principle of leadership. Number one, if you're going to, be, if you're going to do anything like Alan Olson, who is about as good a CPA as they come, in my book, um, you can be the best you can. I've always tried to be a competent trial lawyer uh, and, to, and to give the client a lot more than just what I'm paid to do because I I feel that they they're developing they're they're hiring character as well as knowledge. I said to Sinatra one day, "Why are you so good?" In those days, Sinatra was the number one pop singer in the entire world. Bing Crosby said to me once, "I'd give half of everything I own if I could sing just half as good as that guy Sinatra." Uh, and every singer in the business learned something from Sinatra. And the question is, why? Because I said, and I didn't realize I could have been rubbed out with all of the uh, henchmen, you know, that he always had around him, uh, because your voice isn't that good. I mean, Crosby had a melodious voice, and Perry Como had a nice, smooth voice, and 
Robert Goulet had a strong baritone voice and on and on and on. And he said, I sing honestly. I try to take each song and sing the words, the lyrics that the writer had in mind so that I could tell the story. It's not the voice that's important. It's what you're telling the story. It's how you get that across so that somebody in the audience feels it. The old story of feeling it. So when Sinatra would sing a love song, I was crying over love affairs that I never had because he had that ability to weave that magic all of his life. I mean, I watched him even in his 80s when he was still singing in Vegas. And uh, the voice was not what it was. But boy, he could make you feel. And uh, it's a lesson. He said, always be honest with the song, Rick. Honest. Don't just say, don't I have a lovely voice? And, uh, you know, a lot of singers have a lot. And I learned that from Ray Golden, a producer in Hollywood. I auditioned for him once right at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. And I did get the part that he wanted me to do. But I was singing for him in the corner of a studio. And he said, don't sing good, Rick. I can hire good singers a dime a dozen right down on the corner street here. Sing with feeling. Sing as if you're telling the story. Convey the message that the writer had in mind. A lesson that I've I've tried never to forget, Richard. We're running just a few more minutes here on on, the, on this segment, but uh, you're you're a trial attorney. Yes, and uh, I imagine that uh, you probably got some good good story. But what type of cases do you typically handle? And well, uh, yeah, I do have some great stories. Oh my, uh, I've had wonderful stories over fifty years, nearly fifty years. But we do family law. Uh, child custody cases and domestic cases uh, and uh, support matters. We do automobile accident cases, injuries, personal injuries, slip and falls. We do criminal defense work, and we do estate planning, wills, living trusts, and so forth, primarily. Ironically, uh, the biggest case I ever did was a business case, a theft of trade secrets case. It was seven weeks one company sued another for $50 million. I was the lead defense lawyer, and uh, that was the longest case. But those are the four primary cases we do the, to these days. So how does somebody contact you? Uh, you know, it... Well, our office is in Pleasanton at Stone Ridge Mall, uh, the Foothill Corporate Center, 5820 Stone Ridge Mall Road. And uh, the phone number is, is 925-469-9151. Five, five. So we're visiting here today with Richard King, the senior partner of King, King, and King. Richard, I'd like to thank you for being on today's show. Well, Alan, it's a pleasure. You do a lot with this, and it's a wonderful thing to tune in and listen to these ideas about leadership. I learn from them, and we all appreciate your devotion to helping the community do better. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you. We'll be right back after these messages. Protecting your family's health and welfare is a sacred trust. At Greenstein Rogoff Olson Company, we know that sound financial planning will protect them now and in the future. We're certified public accountants with tax services for the highly successful and voted best CPA firm in the USA. Greenstein Rogoff Olson Company will help you manage your financial affairs so you can focus on what's really important in life. Groco helping you along the way. Home of the free, yeah. 
apple pie, baseball. And now, here's All-American Alan Olson. Welcome back. We've been visiting here today with Richard King. Yes, Alan, I've really enjoyed that, and especially Richard, how he shared about leadership qualities, CVC, commitment, uh, conviction, excuse me, conviction, vision, and commitment. Uh, Alan, what do you think? Our country's trying to uh, decide on a new leader, uh, or at least the GOP is trying to elect a new leader. Any, any thoughts on leadership? Oh, my gosh. Well, this really gives us the time to reflect on, uh, you know, what we're hearing out there in the media. There's a lot of stuff floating around, uh, you know, and from day to day that the wind blows and changes, as we can see that the uh, the Iowa, uh, as they went through the Iowa votes, it was very narrow in the victory between uh, Romney, Centorum, and uh, third place was Paul, I think. Yes. And uh, he's agreed that all those three are starting to kind of, you know, take lead to the forefront. But, um, you know, when you look at leadership, I think one of the things that you got to look at, in, especially where we are today, is that of a moral responsibility. Uh, and what do I mean by moral responsibility? Well, it, you know, you, you, you take the responsibility for your own actions, but you also make sure that the actions that you make are on the right platform. Uh, exactly. You know, one, of the, one of the things that this country suffers today is that is we are spending way beyond what, uh, what we bring in in revenue. And it compel- it compels itself. I think uh, Mitt Romney did share something about that on his concluding speech at the Iowa caucuses. That it's morally irresponsible for us to pass on this huge deficit to our children and grandchildren. He's focused right in on that. That's one of the platforms of his campaign. Uh, you know, he comes from the business world and from a society that uh, if you're in business and you continue to spend well beyond what you bring in in revenue, you're not in business after a short period of time. Right. And so he wants to restructure our debt and and restructure America and make it strong again. You know, a lot of people don't understand. So they, you know, they hear in the news where we're spending three point two trillion, we're bringing in two point two trillion in revenue. Nadine, if if you were to take a guess and in counting to a trillion dollars, or, or just not not trillion dollars, but just counting to a trillion, how many years would it take you to account? To a trillion. I don't know, but I, I had heard if you filled up a football field 10 feet high with $100 bills, you would not reach it. <laughs> That's a lot of money. It's a good analogy. Well, the answer is if, if counting to a million takes 31 years, counting to a trillion takes over 31,000 of our years. Wow. That's it, just... You, you can't even wrap your hands around that. It, it yeah. begins to put it in perspective of how much, and, and every year we go a trillion more into debt. And yet Congress doesn't seem to be able to solve the issue. And this country lacks the leadership to say, let's quit spending the money. You know, because the, the fact of the matter is it's not going to sustain itself. Right. So it, 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 it does look um, interesting. But I think uh, a story that's come out of the Iowa caucuses is the fact that Mitt Romney went into a very socially conservative state and actually squeaked out a win. I think that's a pretty big story, considering it's very socially conservative. You know, I think in the coming weeks, we're going to see that Romney is uh, clearly going to emerge as the front runner. He is the man that will go up against Obama. 
I'm going to make that prediction okay. right now. Well, we'll see. You know, and, and I feel it's primarily there because you know he's taking a position that's on a, a, a rock solid platform. You know, it's it's on the moral responsibility. He's not looking at you know what blows in the wind today, but he's saying he comes with true credibility. He says you can look at my history of the things that I've done in the past, and he goes, and I've been able to turn things around and uh, and and be able to create rock solid companies, business models, in addition to taking on tough challenges and standing for the right. Well, I certainly hope he wins that election because my I'm truly concerned about the fiscal mess our country is in and that America is falling and falling from its position in the world as a leader, as a peacekeeper, as, you know, spreading um, our ideas of freedom and I am very concerned, and I think everybody is. I think there's a lot of people that are concerned with the direction that President Obama has taken our country in. Well, one of the things is you look, this country is still built on a rock-solid foundation of our Constitution. And that is, overall, as long as we honor what was set up by the Founding Fathers, it'll pull us through good and bad storms. We just need to make sure that we have more responsibility when we move through the decisions that we're making into running this country. Great analogy, Alan. Hey, Nadine, it's been a pleasure having you on this week's show. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned for next week, Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success. Discovering your keys to success. This is American Dreams on AM 1220 KDOW.